And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Let me ask you, have you ever been to a dinner with a truly famous person? Okay. If so, you probably paid dearly for the privilege. Or maybe somebody else got you in because they know the person. Or maybe you actually know the famous person. But in any case, dining with a famous person isn't something that normally the masses do, right? This is, this is for privileged individuals. Well, today, I want to tell you how all of you can have dinner with Jesus. And this is a big deal. You would think that everybody would really jump at that opportunity, but as we're going to find out, no, many actually turned down the invitation. Now, when I say to have dinner with Jesus, I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically of just the joys and the delights of being with him in his kingdom, uh, dining at that messianic banquet that he's going to provide throughout all of eternity. The book of Revelation refers to it as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it makes it clear that, yeah, you want to be there. You don't want to miss this. Jesus himself referred to it just a chapter back in Luke 13. He said that people from all corners of the whole earth will dine with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in that kingdom. But many who assumed that they would be included, they're actually going to be cast out. Now, I want to show you how you can be sure that you're going to have a place at the table with your name on it. Uh, that's fancy enough. I've been to a couple of those where you actually, you know, weddings a lot of times will have the guests marked out. Oh, this is our seats. And da, da, da. Well, that's what this wedding feast is going to be like. Now, the unstated question that lies behind our text is, what sort of person will be in the kingdom of God? Who is it that will be participating in this banquet? Well, the Jewish leaders, they assumed, well, people just like us, uh, they're going to be in the kingdom. Uh, good Jews who keep the law of Moses, who follow the traditions of the elders, who keep themselves from ceremonial defilement, that's who's going to be there. And if you had asked them, okay, well, what sort of people are going to be excluded from the kingdom? Well, that's easy for them too. Uh, they would have responded, Gentile dogs, for sure, the immoral uh, the greedy, dishonest tax collectors, those kind of scums will not be in the kingdom. And yet Jesus really just yanks the rug right out from under their feet, um, you know, under their self-righteous assumptions by telling them a parable, and that's what Bill read just a minute ago. To catch the full flavor of this parable, you really have to understand the setting, the context. This was last week's what happened there. Jesus was eating in the home of one of the, the leaders of the Pharisees, and it was on the Sabbath. Now, they were watching Jesus carefully, trying to catch him doing something that he wasn't supposed to be doing. They were trying to trap him. Now, they believed to heal someone was work, and you can't do work on the Sabbath. Now, they probably planted this man with dropsy right there in front of Jesus. Um, Jesus was not your typical dinner guest who just wanted to be a fly on the wall and not really offend anybody. No, instead, he defied the Pharisees by healing this man. Uh, he's not afraid of a little fight, is he? Well, next, Jesus watches as these proud men picked out the, the premium places at the table. Then he delivered a really pointed message about humility. And it probably humiliated all of them. 
Now finally, as if the, the tension weren't great enough already, the Lord told the host that he had invited the wrong guests. How would you like to be doing it? You're hosting a party and Jesus tells you, you know, you really invited all the wrong people. <laughs> you should have invited the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, rather than these friends and relatives and rich neighbors who can actually return the favor. Now, at this point, you could have cut the atmosphere with just a knife. It was just probably excruciating for most of them. Now, at the end of that rebuke in verse 14, Jesus mentions the resurrection of the righteous. And to break the tension and to try to kind of sound spiritual, one of the guests, this would be another Pharisee, he speaks up. He says, well, blessed is everyone who shall eat the bread in the kingdom of God. And he probably thought that both Jesus and all the guests would agree with this pious comment. Everybody around the table probably nodded in agreement and said to one another, Amen, brother, amen. Uh, Won't it be wonderful when we're all there together? Uh, Perhaps there was even some nervous laughter. But Jesus wasn't one to pass up opportunities. He was quick. He was ready to correct wrong ideas, especially in the spiritual realm. And so he tells this parable about this great banquet that is being provided and it's to correct this man who wrongly assumed that he and all his cronies would be present at this banquet due to the fact simply that they were Jews. And not just ordinary Jews, they were Pharisees. They were two or three notches above ordinary Jew. Um, they, They obviously were not even in the same league with the pagan Gentiles. Well, Jesus shows them that many of them would not be in the kingdom because they were refusing the Lord's invitation. To their great surprise, many whom they assumed would not be there would in fact be there. And it's because they responded to the invitation. The last would be first. The first would be last. So the answer to the question, who will be at God's banquet in the kingdom is those who respond personally to the invitation. Now, to have dinner with Jesus in his kingdom, you have to respond personally to this invitation. Now, we're going to look at the nature of God's invitation first and then at the responses to his invitation. So first, we notice that the nature of God's invitation, it's threefold. It's broad, it's free, and it's ample. So first, God's invitation, it's a broad invitation. Verse 16 states, he invited many. Now, in the imagery of the parable, the many who were first invited, that refers to the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day. These men had the privilege of studying Scripture. They had read Moses. They knew what the prophets had to say concerning the Messiah. As Paul puts it in Romans chapter 3, verse 2, they had the advantage of being entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, when dinner hour came, God sent his messenger. Who was his messenger? John the Baptist. And his message was, everything is now ready. You remember the real message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying everything is ready now. But the Jewish leaders, they made excuses and they didn't come. So the Lord expands the invitation to the outcasts of Israel. Now the Pharisees despise these people as those being born in sin. Actually born utterly in sin. Many of the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and the the other notorious sinners, they actually responded to God's invitation. And they were following Jesus. Now this 
proud Pharisee who invited Jesus to the dinner to begin with, he would have never thought of, ex- of extending his invitation to these outcasts. Are you kidding? But Jesus is telling him that, that God's invitation, it includes those that the Pharisees had rejected. But there's still room at the master's table. And so the invitation goes still wider. Outside the city limits, if you will, of Judaism to the Gentiles who are out in the highways and byways and and along the hedges. So at this great banquet, the Lord is going to have a great multitude that no man can count from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So God's invitation, it is a broad invitation. It includes every person from every race, no matter his background, religious or totally pagan. Now we commit a great error when we make the church an exclusive club for the religiously inclined. Have you ever looked at someone and thought, hmm, that person would not be interested in the gospel because they're just way too sinful? Who does Jesus come to save? Sinners. Or you see someone who looks like they could probably belong to a motorcycle gang and you think, oh, that person doesn't look like a a good candidate for a Christian. Or maybe you see a lady and she's, her dress tells you that she's Hindu or Muslim or something and and you kind of think, well, she has her own religion and, and way of life. The gospel's not for her. Whenever we think like that, and trust me, we all have and we all do, we're limiting God's broad invitation of the gospel. His gospel will transform every sinner from every background who will believe in the Lord Jesus. So to every person on this planet, the Lord says, come for everything is now ready. Well, God's invitation is not only broad, it's a free invitation. The servant wasn't selling tickets for admission. It wasn't a thousand dollar a plate fundraiser for the kingdom. It wasn't a benefit supper where you just tossed in what you feel led to. It wasn't even a kingdom potluck where you, where you bring a main dish and the salad and the dessert. The master says, come for everything is ready now. All you need to bring is yourself and an appetite. It's totally free for you because the host, he has picked up the tab. You eat at his expense. Now, this is one of the most beautiful things about the gospel about this gospel invitation. And yet it's one of the most difficult things for people to accept because it means that they cannot take any credit for themselves. If they can offer something in exchange for the meal, they feel better about it. But to come and eat freely, man, that's an affront to their dignity, an affront to their pride. But there's only one way that God offers his salvation. He pays for it all. And all you can do is come and receive it freely. Any other way is going to bring glory to man. But God's way brings glory to him and to his grace. This is a little illustration for you. At Christmas one, one year, a pastor hoped to illustrate God's free salvation. So he pointed to a beautiful Christmas poinsettia sitting there on the platform. It's wrapped in red cellophane and had a beautiful ribbon. And he says, whoever wants this gorgeous plant, this flower, can have it. All you have to do is take it. He waited, but no one came forward to get it. 
Finally, a mother timidly raised her hand and said, I'll take it. He said, great, it's yours. But then the woman nudged her son and said, go get it for me. And the pastor, he says, no, 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 no. Whoever wants this place, this plant, must come and get it personally. You cannot send a substitute. And the woman shook her head. Unwilling to risk embarrassment, she wouldn't go get it for herself. The pastor waited, pointing to this beautiful plant that would make a fine decoration in any home. It was free for the taking, but no one was coming up to get it. Someone snickered, well, what's the catch? Well, there's no catch. It's totally free. A teenage girl asked, well, can I come and get it after the service? He was tempted to give in, but then he thought of Paul's verse, today is the day of salvation. And he said, no, you must come get it, and you must come get it now. He was beginning to wish that he had not even started this whole thing when all of a sudden a woman from the back got up, somebody he didn't even know, recognized. Quickly, as if she was afraid that she might change her mind, she strode to the front of the church and she picked up the plant. She said, I'll take it. Well, after she got back to her seat and sat down, the pastor launched into his message on Romans 6, 23, that the gift of God is eternal life and that that gift is free to all who receive it. Well, after the service, when most of the people had gone, the woman who had claimed the poinsettia came back up to the front uh, where the pastor was picking up his Bible. And here, she held out her hand. This flower is too pretty to take home for free. I couldn't do that with a clear conscience. The pastor looked down at the crumpled paper uh, that the woman had stuffed in his hand, and it was a $10 bill. Well, folks, you can't stuff the $10 bill of your works into God's hands to pay for his salvation banquet. That's not how it works. He provides it all totally free to you, but at great expense to himself. Now, human nature is so inclined to boast in good works that when you tell people the good news about Jesus, you must take pains to make it very clear that God's invitation is free and only free. Well, God's invitation is not only uh, broad, it's wide, it's free, but it's also ample. There's plenty. He says, come for everything is ready now. Everything. All you can eat and more besides. He makes all of the necessary provisions beforehand and he puts them on the table. When you walk in the door, you see a table loaded with appetizers. Help yourself. There's a full salad bar with a wide variety of soups. Go back as often as you wish. There are several selections of the main dish. Would you like prime lobster? Prime lobster. <laughs> That's good. Would you like prime rib or lobster? Or both, right? There's pile of mode to top it all off. Uh, and it's all freely provided by the host for everyone who will simply come and eat. Now, this is a great picture of the abundance of salvation that God so freely provides for sinners. When you come to the banquet table in Christ, he doesn't just give you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich as much as I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. He gives you the works. He is the fountain of living water to wash away all of your sins. He gives you the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives you peace to replace your anxiety. Joy to replace your depression. 
power to overcome your sins and wisdom to make right decisions. You have fellowship every day with the gracious Savior and the promise of eternity with him in heaven. The Apostle Peter describes it like this. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Long before we ever thought about God, God thought of us. And he made ample provision for our salvation. His abundant provision means that you are welcome to come to his table and eat until you are satisfied. Now, with that kind of offer, you kind of wonder, well, 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 how could anyone refuse? But Jesus' parable clearly warns that some do refuse God's broad and free and ample invitation. So the second major thing is we see the responses to God's invitation. Some refuse with excuses while others personally accept it. Now, to ignore or to postpone responding, that is, in essence, to refuse the invitation. Because the table is ready when? Now. Today is the day of salvation. At some point, very soon, every seat will be full and the door will be shut. Now, those who procrastinate, they may miss the opportunity. So, let's look first at those who refuse. Some refuse God's invitation with excuses, Now, each of those who are first on the invitation list, list, they respond with an excuse for why they can't come. The first man says he can't come because he's bought a piece of land and he has to go out and look at it. Now, this is a pretty flimsy excuse. Who would buy a piece of land sight unseen? Uh, Besides, why does he need to go look at it at the time of the dinner? Uh, He could arrange it in his schedule to do both if he wanted to. This just points to the fact that he really did not want to have dinner with Jesus. He represents the person who is tied up with his possessions or investments so that he has no time for God. He forgets that this very night his soul could be required of him and then who will own what he has worked so hard to accumulate. The second man says he can't come because he's bought five yoke of oxen and he's got to go try them out. Again, kind of flimsy. Who's going to buy these ox without trying them out first? But like the first man, This man is caught up with his possessions, with his work. He can't even take time off to have dinner with Jesus. He's living for the things of the world, but he's neglecting his own soul. The third man says that he can't come because he's married a wife. Perhaps he's saying that he couldn't bear to be out of her presence for even a few hours or her presence for even a few hours. Maybe his wife didn't want him to go anywhere without her. At any rate, he's making an idol of his wife. He's putting her above his needs for God. Now, just two verses after our passage today, here's what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The interesting thing is that not one of these excuses was sinful in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with buying land or animals or machinery to work the land. The Bible commends enterprise and hard work. There's nothing wrong with marriage and love of the family. The Bible commands us to love our families. But the point is, things that are legitimate in their rightful place can be wrong if they hinder us from getting right with God. 
It's not just the gross, flagrant sins that keep people out of the kingdom of God. Good things, wrongly emphasized, they'll do the trick just as well. Now, if a person gets wrongly caught up with these otherwise good things, he can invent all sorts of excuses for not accepting the Lord's invitation to this dinner. Maybe you're so caught up with your caught up with your possessions or your leisure time or your career that you're neglecting your own soul. Perhaps you're single and you're longing for a mate and would consider marrying a non-Christian because you think he or she would bring you fulfillment and, and happiness. You would put momentary pleasure above the eternal pleasure of dinner with Jesus. You're saying, Lord, I can't come to your dinner because I have married a wife. To allow anything to cause you to refuse or to even put off accepting God's offer of salvation, that is a foolish decision. Now the host gets angry at the refusal because it's a rude, personal insult to turn down such a a bountiful invitation. Think about it. God offered his only begotten son as a sacrifice for sinners to be reconciled to him. As the author of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, as the host here declares, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. So the refusal of the first group led the host to send out the invitation to others who accepted his offer. And we're going to look at them now. Others responded personally to God's offer in spite of what we would call potential excuses. So the striking thing here is that everyone who accepted the invitation and said, yes, I'll come, they could have come with, or or, or they could have come up with seemingly legitimate excuses for not coming. The poor man could say, I don't have any, you know, clean clothes to wear to such a feast. The crippled man could say, I can't find anyone to carry me there. The blind could say, I can't see to find my way. The lame could say, hey, it just hurts too much for, for me to walk on this leg. I can't come. Those along the highways and the byways and the hedges, the street people, they could say, well, I haven't had a bath in days. My clothes are dirty and and ragged and I can't come. But they all accepted the offer. Two things, really. The servant convinced them that they were welcome. And second, they clearly knew their own need. They were hungry. They believed the offer and they responded personally to it in spite of the potential excuses that they each could have come up with. Now, the servant, he didn't run a background check on all these people before he invited them to the feast. Their background didn't matter. He didn't find out their nationality. He didn't ask about their religious background or whether they even, whether they even had one. He didn't get a promise from each one that they would behave and show proper manners at the dinner table. The invitation wasn't based on anything in the recipients themselves. It was based totally on the goodness and bounty of the host. Now, all of these people, all they had to do was recognize their hunger, believe that the offer was true, and say, yes, I'll come. And when they came, they found that the feast was far better than they ever expected or could ever have imagined. One of the main hindrances that will keep you and many other people from having dinner with Jesus is that you are so full of your own goodness that you won't acknowledge your need for the banquet. Your pride will make you say, 
I'll bring the I'll bring the salad and the dessert. But the Lord says, no, I provide it all. You just come. Imagine a multimillionaire who sends his servant out into uh, the poorest section of town in his limousine. And the servant tells the chauffeur to stop by this bum that's seated by the side of the road. And so he gets out and talks to him. He says, hey, would you like to come to a feast at my master's mansion? We'll take you. Please get in. And the guy on the street, uh, he, he warily eyes the servant and he asks, well, what's the catch? He says, there's no catch. My master is a kind and generous man. He's prepared a meal like you wouldn't believe. Won't you please come? And he says, I haven't had a bath in days. I haven't washed my clothes in weeks. And this is the only rags that I own. I would feel out of, out of place at a, at a mansion like this. And the servant says, well, there's going to be lots of other people there just like you. The food is on the table and the dinner, it's about to begin. Just come as you are. Now that sounds kind of too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, it is good. But Jesus tells us that it's also true. The main catch is you have to see and admit that you are that needy bum on the side of the road in need of a savior. Spiritually, you have nothing to commend yourself to God. There's nothing that you can bring to him and say, hey, uh, how much will you give me for this? (laughs) He's not going to give you anything for anything that you have. We don't have anything to commend us to God. Salvation is not based on anything in you. In fact, it's offered freely in spite of you. Remember, Jesus came to save sinners. It's all of God's free grace, not at all of your works, lest any should boast. Jesus is saying to each person, no matter how great your sins, come, for I have prepared everything for you to be saved from God's judgment and to dine with me for all eternity. Today, will you say, yes, Lord, I come. Let's pray. Father, what a great picture of your grace. Lord, you have this banquet prepared for those who will simply come, who, those who will just set aside their own self-righteousness that will not look to themselves, but will look to you alone. This banquet is sumptuous. Father, it is, it is broad, it is free, and it is ample. It will fill every longing that we have within us. So God, I pray that you would do that work in the hearts of folks this morning to help them see that need, if that is a need in their life, to follow you, to say, yes, I come. I want to eat one day at this banquet. Father, do that work and we'll give you praise and glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the question is, are, are you hungry spiritually? Uh, The way you notice is uh, a lot of people will find a kind of dissatisfaction with life. Solomon went through this, richest man probably that's ever lived comparatively. And he had everything at his disposal. And the vast majority of the things that he talks about there in Ecclesiastes that he tried, uh, most of them were good things. There was a couple sketchy, but he, he, he tried, he, he was trying to do good things. And he found out that they did not satisfy It's like chasing the wind. It was all vanity. 
And the only thing that he can, comes down to and says, yeah, the only thing that really matters is God. So are you in a place in your life where you're, you're on this treadmill? You've been trying this, trying that. Nothing is making that treadmill feel, is there anything worse than exercising and not getting any benefit? No, even Jeremy understands that. No, you exercise because you're trying to do something good. You want some benefit. Not many people exercise just because it's fun, right? Well, in your trying on your treadmill of coming up with some significance and some meaning and some importance in your life, if you keep falling short, you've tried your job, yeah, you find out that's climbing the wrong ladder. Maybe you've tried a relationship. Yeah, that didn't do it either. Maybe you've tried recreational things. Nope. In the end, it's fun while you're doing it, but it's over. If, if that lack of satisfaction, that lack of significance, if that marks your life, then that's a good sign that, that, you're, that you don't belong to God. Because it's, it's in him that we find our identity. That's one of the things I said last night, or last week, remember? That, or no, I guess that was one of my lessons this week. God gives us our identity for a purpose that we can make his identity known. And it's as we make his identity known to others, yeah, we find that significance, that importance, okay? So that's kind of the second half of the equation there. Who was it that the, the master sent out to gather in these people? It was his servant. Are we not servants of the king? Our job is to invite people to this banquet. As again, this is metaphorical language. We're talking about salvation here. That's our job. It's to let folks know, hey, I serve King Jesus. You need to serve him too. You need to bow the knee. Okay, it can come up a thousand different ways for us as believers to interject, yes, uh, Jesus. That's where we're headed. That's where we want to be headed in these conversations is to Jesus. There are people out there that are looking, that are hungry. And all you, all you need to tell them is, yes, Jesus, he's the banquet you're looking for. He will give you that, that filling from the inside that nothing else in the world can. And there will be those who respond. Now, part of our, part of our deal is we understand we're sowing seeds, Okay. We, we sow seeds. We let them know about Jesus. Sometimes it takes many, many exposures to Jesus for somebody to come to the truth and say, yes, I want Jesus today. That's why Paul says today is the day of salvation. There is no better day. If you know that you're out there and you don't know Jesus, today is the day. You come, you bow the knee. You will know him. He will know you. He will change your life. If you're a believer, it's our job to let others know about this banquet, about Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.